0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, and I will begin reading in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Please pray with me. Lord God of heaven, our creator, creator of Israel, and our Savior, we look to you this morning for the truth of your word regarding your children, Israel, we pray that we would Go away from this study with a solid foundation of who your people are, what your land is, and why it is so. Please guide us in this study and guide my words as I speak from your word this morning. Amen. So this was both a very exciting study for me and turned into a very challenging study for me as I delved into it. I've titled this sermon, God's Chosen People A Biblical Understanding of Israel. As most of you probably already know, Israel has been at war for over two weeks now. They were attacked by Islamic Arabs from Gaza, and the attacks spread from there. Now, there's a lot of information out there. You can pick any news source you want to go along with whatever idea you think you might want to have about Israel and who's right and who's wrong. And I don't know about you, but I've been pretty tied to my phone lately, just wanting to know what's going on over there. And with all of the current events, and this war seems to be spreading throughout the region now, it's important that we anchor ourselves on the foundation of God's promise His covenant to his people starting with his covenant to Abram God's covenant with Israel is enduring God chose a specific people to be his people separate from the rest of the world he chose a land that he separated out from the rest of the world to be for his people As we think of these things that are going on in Israel right now as as I speak, let's look at this covenantal promise that God gave to his people. First, a covenant of land. God gave Abram a covenant of a land unknown. Genesis 12.1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. God established his covenant right there. Abram did not know where this land was. What we don't see here is Abram sitting around asking this often asked question in our current society is what is God's will for my life? The only way we can deal with that is first we take ourselves out of the middle of that question and we ask what is God's will? You see, Abram knew his God. And when he was told to go, he just went. Didn't have any directions, not even a north, south, east, or west. God just said, get up and go. And Abram went. Shortly after this, God began to reveal some of his promise to Abram. A land revealed in Genesis 12, starting in verse 5. Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the people which they had acquired, and... Heron, and they set out for the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanites were in the land at that time, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram's faith in God led him to this land, undirected, just believing in faith that this was God's plan, and Abram got on board with God's plan and adapted his life to God's plan. We continue reading in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the vicinity of the Jordan and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Skipping down to verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now raise your eyes and look from the place where where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Now, unless you're standing in a deep, deep valley, when you look around, you can see a lot of land in many places. And previous to this, we are told that before Lot and Abram separated, that Lot raised his eyes and saw all the vicinity of the Jordan. Which tells us they were in a high place and they could see a long ways. And Abram is beginning to see the magnitude of this covenant. How overwhelming it would have been just to have that much. All the land that you can see. This is all going to be yours. But God didn't stop there. He continued to reveal his promise moving on into Genesis chapter 15 starting in verse 18 on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river the river Euphrates the land of the Kenite the Kenizzite the Cadmonite the Hittite the Perizzite the Rephaim, the Amorite the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Way more land than Abram could see from that one spot. This is the full revelation of God to Abram of the land that was promised to Abram and is still promised to Israel today. Moving on from the covenantal land, the second part of the covenant is the covenantal people. The covenant, covenantal people are a people of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 of our text. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. This was God's covenant to Abram that he would be the father of all nations and that this covenant people would come from him, from his body. Continue on in Genesis chapter 17, Starting in verse one, now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God, to you and your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your so- sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now this expansion on the covenant is huge. Because this is the first time in the scriptures that we see a man's name changed by God. Now, when God changes a person's name, he's marking out something very significant. And in the short time that I've had to study this, as far as I can tell, every time that God has changed a person's name from this point forward in the Scriptures is always tied back to this covenant. Every one of them. Now, we are going to see the significance of this more as we go down the road in this study. So hold on to that thought. Covenant people are also a covenant people of God. They don't just belong to Abraham, they belong to God. We will see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse one. "When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering it, entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, "...the Hittites and the Girgashites, and the Amorites and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites and the Hivatites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons." "'nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. "'For they will turn your sons away from following me "'to serve other gods. "'Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, "'and he will quickly destroy you. "'But thus you shall do to them. "'You shall tear down their altars "'and smash their sacred pillars "'and hew down their ashram "'and burn their graven images with fire. "'For you are a holy people to the Lord your God.' The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So God clearly marks out right here that Israel has been chosen as his own people for his glory. And this was established back in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Though we didn't read it yet, God had already established it with Abram. Solomon echoed God's covenant of a people, Israel, in a prayer. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 53, For you have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance, as you spoke through Moses your servant, when you brought our fathers forth from Egypt, O Lord God. God's covenantal promise and a land of covenant, both were separated out by God, to God, for God, for His glory. God gave us some timing about this covenant. We're going to look at God's covenantal timing. Genesis chapter 15 starting at verse 13 God reveals to Abram his long-term plan God said to Abram know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve and afterward they will come out with many possessions As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So this people that Abram doesn't have yet, doesn't even have a son yet, is going to be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. And then Abram's going to die. He doesn't get to go into the promised land. And then not until the fourth generation after the death of Abraham does God's people enter into the promised land. Now imagine this in our instant gratification culture God says I'm going to give this to you but you can't have it your descendants are going to have it imagine the whining oh it's not fair well here's the reality Christian If you're truly living for the Lord, everything you do is for someone else. That's the lesson I learned in studying this. Abraham ended up at least with the, the vision of what was to come. But he still had to be very patient and trust the Lord. Moving on to Uh, God's covenantal endurance. God's covenant endures the sin of man. It endured the sin of Abram. If you look at Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband as his wife. Now, I'm just going to point something out here, ladies. Don't ever share your husband. And guys, if she says, oh, it's okay, it'll be fine. No, it won't. As this story goes on, you will see how badly this turned out. We are still experiencing the effects of this choice today. You see, we have a track record here now, and this started back in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Instead of Adam leading his wife and protecting her, he let her go to the tree and get her mind all twisted up by the serpent. You might say she danced with the devil. And instead of Adam saying, Eve, get away from that tree. What are you doing? She picks and eats and then gives to him. Then he screws up again and says, instead of saying, no, this is not what we're supposed to do. He said, okay. And he took and he ate. I wonder if it wasn't right then and there. If it wasn't, Adam, that coined the phrase, happy wife, happy life. Now we have Abram and Sarai. They're getting old, and they just couldn't wait on the Lord. They knew of this promise, but nothing seemed to be happening. And so they took matters into their own hands, and Sarai came up with an idea. Because if we're going to have this, if this covenant is going to come to pass, we got to have a child somehow. Well, if we continue reading in Genesis 16, down in verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her father, excuse me, said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael because the lord has given heed to your affliction he will be a wild donkey of a man his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live in the east live to the east of all of his brothers so sarah had a terrible idea and abram went along with it because you see ishmael is the father of the arabs people that are waging war against Israel today. Remember what I said about this thing turning out terrible for them. After Abraham, or excuse me, Abram at this point, produced a son named Ishmael with Hagar, Sarai was angry and jealous because now her maidservant had produced a child and she wasn't able to. And so what we read here was Hagar crying out to God after she fled from Sarai in fear. It wasn't okay. Not only does God's covenant endure the sin of Abram, it also endures the sin of Israel. In Exodus chapter 16 Starting in verse 1. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness the sons of israel said to them would that we have had died by the lord's hand in the land of egypt when we sat by the pots of meat when we ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger now i'm going to show you how a seemingly small sin turns into something really big they're grumbling here because they're hungry granted I'm sure they were they've been in the wilderness uh, without food for a while and they didn't trust their God so they God heard their grumblings and this is when the manna was sent from heaven for their food and the quail. And God gave them very exacting instructions on how to manage the situation with this food that he is providing for them. You see, he told them to only collect as much as they needed each day for that day and not to keep any overnight. He also told them to collect a double portion on the sixth day. Excuse me, would be the, yeah, the sixth day to prepare for the Sabbath because they were not to work on the Sabbath. So that was the one day they could carry a portion over so that they could eat on the Sabbath. We read on in Exodus chapter 16 down in verse 20 we see how well Israel listened to God. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to, hit, went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? So they went from grumbling to the full range of greed or slothfulness. Some were greedy, tried to keep some overnight. It rotted. Some were slothful. Oh, it'll be there in the morning. Didn't, didn't collect the double portion to prepare for the Sabbath. So they went hungry on the Sabbath. But they didn't stop here. This continues in Exodus chapter 17. In verse 1, we read, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Riphidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So, first we're hungry, now we're thirsty more grumbling and quarreling then it must have been pretty severe for Moses to say, why do you test the Lord? And again, they bring out their, their favorite phrase, why have you brought us out here to die? Continuing in Exodus, if we jump to chapter 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the golden rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the golden rings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. This is where the the seemingly little sin turned into something huge. The children of Israel at this point completely turned their backs on God and defiled themselves before their God. But despite all of this sin against the covenant of Abram, of the people of Israel, God's covenant endures. The enduring covenant we read of in Jeremiah verse 30, excuse me, chapter 30, starting in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of the people, of my people Israel and Judah, the Lord says. I will also bring them back to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. And again in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you and you will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. The sin of Abram and Israel railed against the covenant of God. Through Abram, war was waged against Israel by his son, Ishmael, and his descendants. Israel defiled herself before her God. And yet, despite all that, to show us how serious he is about his covenant, he brought them back. The restoration, the, the language used in Jeremiah 31, 1-4, is just amazing when you consider the acts of Israel against their God, even to the point in verse 4, I want to repeat this verse, again, I will build you and you will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. That's full restoration, to use the term virgin for his defiled people. God's covenant endures to the end of time. Covenantal endurance revealed by God in Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not... Set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation to those who love him and keep his commands to the thousandth generation that's a long time he emphasizes this again in Genesis chapter 17 verse 7 I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. That is an enduring covenant with no end date. That covenant goes to the end of time. We also see the endurance of the covenant through repetition. Now, it's very common. Pastor Fred does it a lot. He might repeat something two or three times if he's on on a strong point. Now, pay attention here as we go through this, how many times God repeats his covenant to his people. An enduring repetition to Abram in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, I'm going to read this again so that it's fresh on our minds. The original covenant. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is repeated again. I'm not going to read all of these. In Genesis 13. Again in Genesis 15. And again in Genesis 17. Reiteration of the same covenant to Abram. And then you remember the thing I told you about the name change. He did it again when Abram became Abraham and during repetition to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 verse 15 then God said to Abraham as for Sarai your wife you shall call shall not call her name Sarai but Sarah shall be her name skipping down to verse 19 but God said no but Sarah your wife will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Something that I, I stood out to me in this point in my study is the significance of the name change. You see, Ishmael was born to Abram. And Isaac was born to Abraham. Yes, the same man, but different identities. Ishmael wages war against against Isaac to this very day. This promise again is repeated to Abraham. In Genesis 21 and in Genesis 22. And then we have the enduring repetition to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, verses 2 through 4. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I should, shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you And to your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oaths which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then we have an enduring repetition to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Starting in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again in Genesis chapter 35, verse 11, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. And if you notice, we had another name change there. And again, directly tied to this covenant. So this is by no means an exhaustive list because I only had so much time and I took this through Genesis, to the end of Genesis, starting with chapter 12, verse 1, where we started. And these were all the repetitions by God of his covenant to his people. It continues on many, many times through Scripture, still from the mouth of God, uh, in books of the Bible to come, as he's dealing with his prophets and And uh, the things to come. And then after that, it's repeated many times by other men referring back to it. It would be a a tremendous study to figure out how many times God repeated this promise to his people. I think he meant it. So, to put all this together, in my conclusion, war in Israel is significant. War in Israel is always significant, not just this time, not just the ones we read about in the Bible, but every time war is significant with Israel. Turn to the book of Joel, chapter 3. This is a little longer portion, but I want you to see this. For behold, in those days at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and they have divided up my land they have also cast lots for my people raided a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink moreover What are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me, swiftly and speedily I will return your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold, bought my precious treasures to your temples, and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them, Far from their territory, behold, I am going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshears into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great multitudes multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision the Sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth tremble but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel then you will know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion my holy mountain so Jerusalem will be holy and strangers will pass through it no more Now, this hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for this one. But this is the fulfill this is the true fulfillment when Israel will be restored to her land. God's covenant with Israel is paramount. I told you this was a difficult study for me as I dug into it because it's so heavy and so huge. There's so much here to deal with. God's guarantee of an enduring people is paramount not only to Israel, but to us. See, it's essential to our grafting in. You think back to the teaching of Paul in Romans. And there's some phrases he used pretty regularly one of those was first for the Jew then for the Gentile and then he spent a fair amount of time talking about the grafting in meaning us the church being not Jewish and not his chosen people being grafted into that people because you see without this covenant we have nothing to be grafted into with all of the warring going on, and it will get worse. The Bible tells us that. We saw just a little bit of it here in, the, uh, in Joel. The one thing we can rest assured of is God will restore the dominion of Israel, and his truth will stand. So stand firm in God's word and his promises, because there are many out there who hate Israel and hate us. There are even some out there who claim to be Christians and hate Israel. I'm here to tell you, if you hate Israel, you cannot be a Christian. It does not work. Because if you don't stand with Israel, you stand against God. When one wages war against Israel, they wage war against God. And they cannot win. They may take some lives, they may afflict damage, but they will never be victorious. With that, bow with me, and I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we have looked at your people, Israel, and your promises to them and to us, just pray that this resonates in our hearts and we use this as an anchor point as we view the things that are going on around the world in regards to your people, and as we deal with people who are against you and your people. Give us grace and in our speech as we speak to them and help us to love them into your fold that they might become believers in you and benefit from your covenant go with us now keep us safe we pray and especially pray for our pastor and his wife as they travel back for traveling mercies and we look forward to having them back with us as ask these things in jesus name amen